Wendover Hills. I'm going to have you out of here in about an hour and 45 minutes after this sermon. You'll be able to fellowship all you want in just, I mean, just a few short hours. Oh, oh I've worked a deal. Rio Grande is going to stay open until like 6 o'clock tonight. So you've you got lots of time to get there. Hey, so usually uh, you may know this, but uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, like I try to crank on the sermon and come Wednesday, I try to kind of set it aside um, and then I pick it up on the weekends and go over it and make sure, uh, you know, I can actually present it to you somewhat decently. Um, Friday morning when I, I looked at it, I couldn't find the sermon on my computer. I discovered later I had saved a future outline for a future series over it, um, and my computer buddies were not able to help me. Um, So this is what you're going to get today. Either you're going to get an amazing uh, word from the Holy Spirit this morning, or you're going to get the ramblings of a pastor who stayed up most of the night last night trying to rewrite this sermon, um, and who's like functioning a little bit, you know, crazy on energy drink this morning. So I'm not sure which which you'll get. I hope it's the first because it should be a lot more uh, exciting for all of us. Uh, But let me pray for you, um, for myself. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning, I just pray your your word to be clear. I know that, Father, you have a word to speak to us. And I would guess right here, looking at this crowd this morning, there is somebody sitting right here who doesn't know you as their Savior. There's somebody who has not yet said yes to you to follow you. Lord, there is others that sit right here that know you, But their knowledge of you, Lord, has been just so medial in their life that today might be the day that you're challenging them to do something with their faith. Still others, Lord, are walking with you, but they're on the verge of decision in their life, and they are wanting and expecting an answer and a word from you. Lord, give it, would you, this morning we pray in your son's name. Amen. Um. Have you ever uh, been said that you're sitting on the fence in your life? Like, have you ever been described as somebody who's like sitting on the fence? Uh, do you know that you're not being complimented when somebody says that you're sitting on the fence? Uh, usually, I don't know if you figure that part out yet. Um, this morning, I want to kind of preach to you or share you a message from the fence. However, this is kind of a very temporary uh, kind of quickly set up structure. So I'm not going to sit on this fence uh, because some of you might have your, your video cameras playing and that'll be on social media uh, later. So, but metaphorically, I want to preach to you from the fence this morning. And we're talking about something that you know a lot about, but you may not know a lot about. Hmm. Um, yeah, let me explain to you what I mean this morning. We're talking about baptism. You see, this is the final week of this series, The Experience. And we've been walking through what do you expect, or what do you experience when you experience church? We talked about worship, and we said that, you know, worship is more than just singing. Don't cheapen the word by just talking about music. It is how we worship God with our life, everything we do. We talked about communion when we take the elements and we we celebrated that this morning. We talked about prayer and the Lord teaching us how to pray. And in doing that, he's really teaching us how to live. And then we uh, talked about preaching and how we can actually preach with our lives as well. And this week we're finishing up this series as we talk on baptism. Can I tell you, this is what baptism is. Metaphorically speaking, from a spiritual thought, baptism is really your getting off the fence moment. 
That's what it is. It's your getting off the fence moment. And I'll explain more what I'm talking about, but uh, this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about a little bit about the historical background of baptism, how it came into be, why are Christians baptized. I want to walk you through that, and then I want to kind of shift gears, and it may seem a little abrupt, um, but I want to shift gears, and then I want to give you like some clear, practical ways that baptism is really challenging us to get off the fence in our Christian life. Does that make sense? That's kind of the roadmap uh, for the next couple hours that we'll walk through. So here's what we'll do. Uh, uh, I want to talk to you first about this idea of fence sitting. Now, I don't know if it's an international word or phrase, um, but I I do know the history is kind of in the the West. uh, 1800s West is the background of this word. You can think about settling fences, all that kind of stuff. Fence sitter, that's where it came from. But I do know it's one we understand and we use quite uh, regularly. But I want to help you understand how this all ties into the beginnings of baptism. Now, you may not have known this. Baptism was actually not originally a Christian word. It wasn't a biblical word. It's not like you can look in your Bible and you can see the progression of baptism, the word baptism, being created by God and given to the people. We don't get a prayer like, or we don't get this pronouncement by God in Scripture where he says, and now you will baptize and and give this. And so the question would be then, well, how did this all come about? Well, here's the word, if you're not familiar, it's the word in Greek called baptizo. That's the word for baptism. Baptizo. So when you go away today and somebody says, hey, do you know any Greek? You can just say, oh yeah, lots. Baptizo, some other stuff. And, but you know one. Here's what it literally means. Baptizo. To dunk, to plunge, to emerge. That's baptizo. So like this morning when you dunked your, your donut in your coffee, you know, you, that's like baptizo, the pure definition of the word is baptizo, but there is this variance to the word, how it's practically used. You might look up a word in Webster's Dictionary that has a specific definition, but you go, yeah, but let me tell you how you actually use the word when you say the word. Baptizo had a little variance to its definition that came out when people actually used the word. They said the word baptizo. And that's what I I, I want to walk you through. You see, uh, this word, the very earliest instance of this word was from a Greek physician named Nicander. And he lived 200 years before the time of Christ, 200 BC, right? And in his writing, he's a doctor, and in his writings, he actually, one of his writings was a recipe book of all places. It's a recipe book, right? And one of the recipes that he had in there was how to make a pickle, And he says you take the cucumber and you baptizo it in vinegar. And you get yourself a pickle, right? Now some of you love pickles. I can't stand pickles. Um, But this, this is in this guy's writing. 200 years, the early instance that we get of this word baptizo comes from a pickle recipe. Now you might be going, well that's, that's great Tom. I thought we were really like talking about baptism this morning. We'll get to that. This is really, really important because what he is saying in this recipe is when, when you put this cucumber in and you baptizo this cucumber, you get a pickle. You get something else when you baptizo it. 
In the same way, later on, some writings use baptizo to describe how like a, a dye is used in a piece of fabric. You would take like the white garment and you would dip it into, I don't know, let's say a red dye. You would baptizo it in there. And when you pulled it out, it was like red, right? Like when you accidentally have a marker in your washing machine and you pull your stuff out, you have just baptizoed everything in your laundry, right? And it has a, some type of pink tint to it. You baptizoed it. Those are writings predated Christ with the word baptizo in it. So really what it's describing is it's like this normal word that's used by normal people to describe normal task, the word baptizo. Now, I know some of you, like, that word is so sacred to you, like, I just cheapened it to the biggest degree. Not so. It, this actually brings the significance of this word to light. So here's what you need to know. The subtle variants that I told you uh, existed when people actually used the word baptizo. When they used the word baptizo, they would only use it in a sense that when you dunked, emerged that thing, you changed it forever. So when you baptizo something, you actually change the identity of that something, and it could not revert back. Now think about the recipe of a pickle, putting the cucumber in, and, and I don't know how long it takes in vinegar, but eventually, you know, it becomes a pickle. You don't unpickle a pickle, right? It's always a pickle from that point on. When you dye a piece of fabric, you cannot then go back and undye that piece of fabric. I know we get stains that we get out sometimes, but like your shirts, I'm looking at them. They're red, they're blue, they're yellow. You're not undoing that. That was how baptizo was used. If I were to take a rock and I were to throw it into a pool of water, I would not describe it, I have baptizoed that rock because that rock would not change its identity. Oh, I don't know, maybe tens of thousands of years something happens to that rock. I'm not quite sure how that all works out. But you would not use the term baptizo in that sense. Baptizo changed the identity. So you could look at the pure definition of the word and not pick up on that. But contextually, when you saw how people used the word, you would understand, well, baptizo was reserved for this purpose, not for this. And the purpose that it was reserved for was to dunk, emerge something that would then change the identity of that thing forever. Now, some of you are smart. Like you are already right away starting to connect the dots and how baptizo became to be used in baptism or by, by the Christians. So, but uh, I'll tell you it anyway. Um, it, it starts to make sense here. Uh, we find that in Luke chapter 3, we've got this character down by the Jordan River, this guy named John, who uh, people are coming to him, and he's preaching to them. And he's really preaching like a single one-line message. Now, he says many, many more words, but you can revert it back to this one kind of message. He was kind of an odd dude uh, we get in Scripture. It says that he, he wore camel's hair. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if that's too odd. I, I, I don't wear it, but, uh, but he did. And he ate locusts. That sounds a little strange uh, to me. He ate honey as well, the Bible says. That sounds normal. So he's got two out of three weird things going on there. Um, John, basically, he's got this one-sentence sermon, and this is what it is. Repent, the Messiah is coming. Or you might remember, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the Messiah is coming. And when he says the word repent, he's not in a very... um, 
politically correct, socially conscious type of setting, he means exactly that. You are sinning, quit sinning, turn from your sin, because the Messiah, the chosen one that you Jewish people have been talking about, that every generation before you has been declaring, he's coming. He's coming. And so that's his message. People are hearing this. And it's so strong that this is the response he's getting. If you know Luke chapter 3, verse 10, verse 12, verse 14, this is what we hear the crowd say. The crowd asks, well, what what should we do then? Even corrupt tax collectors came and asked, (coughs) teacher, what should we do? And check this out. Roman soldiers, what should we do? Asked some soldiers. Here are these guys hearing this simple message Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the the Messiah is near, the Messiah is coming. They were so shaken by this message that their lives were turned and they said, what should we do? We believe, we repent, what should we do? And this was the answer in front of them because John started to do something that historically really hadn't been done. We We don't get any picture of it historically. He began to baptizo people. That's what he was doing. He was baptizoing people in the Jordan River. He he led them down to the water. Uh, People came to him. They came near to the water. He walked in the water with them. He would take hold of them, and he would plunge them, emerge them. He would dunk them, as we like to say in our contemporary churches a lot. He would dunk them and bring them up. He would baptizo. In fact, we find that any time that this is talked about in Scripture, the word baptizo is used. There's another word, caractizo, which is actually used at one other place in the Bible where it talks about sprinkling, the sprinkling of water on someone. Not used in in a baptism sense, but where it's used here, when they're talking about this dunking, The word baptizo is the one that's used. And John, we find, is doing this to people in the Jordan River. It's not a cucumber. It's not a fabric and dye. It is people in water. Now, by that cultural definition that I just told you, a rock in a water doesn't change its identity. You going in the water doesn't really change your identity, right? I mean, physically. So you can see the power of the metaphor that John is declaring. He is saying, if I'm going to use the word baptizo, I'm Jewish, I understand the context of it is what he says. I'm taking you down and up. You are transformed. Your identity is new. You are changed forever. That is what John is now declaring on the word baptizo for people in the Jordan River. That's pretty powerful. That's why he gets this little nickname. You've heard it, right? John the Baptist. Yeah, that's why he's called that. Uh, some of you thought, oh, I thought that was his last name. No, it's not. It, it, it wasn't you know, like what Baptist church was he a part of? Um, there, there wasn't a bunch of, there wasn't one on every corner back then in John's days. John the Baptist because of what he was doing in the Jordan River. And we find very soon after this that it's even Jesus Christ himself that comes to John to be baptized. And so it's solidified in the Christian tradition, and we even call it sacrament 
because Jesus did it. And so it carries on all the way to this day, May 15th. We're going to do baptizoing of people right here on Sunday morning. And I encourage you, if you've never been baptizoed as a believer in Jesus Christ, you say, well, I think my parents did it when I— we call that christening. We call it dedication. But when you declared your faith in Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, then by all means, can I just encourage you, go ahead and sign up on May 15th. We'd love to baptizo you on that day. And so, uh, baptizo, it, it, it wasn't this word that described people any more than the rock, but we find here that John has now declared it on there, and it sticks in the Christian tradition as a metaphor that, that goes out. So, what, what's really happening here? John is declaring to these people that come to him, what should we do? And through baptism, John is in a very well way, our metaphor this morning as we'll get into here, he is saying, look, you got you to get off the fence and declare it fully. Declare it fully. When we sit on the fence, I can go this way, maybe faith side, maybe non-faith side. He's saying, you got to get off the fence and you got to go fully. Baptism declares that in our life. and We are transformed, never the same. Here's what Jesus has to say about this in his, in his words. Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Jesus says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. You see, Jesus, John, at this time, what they saw is, this is these things just work together. You believe, and that's in your heart to say yes to Jesus Christ. But then you, are, you have the act of baptism that goes along with that belief. The baptism was the outward sign of what was going on inside and in Jesus' day, those things happen right on top of each other. Now, it, it, they didn't always happen at the same second. The story we read about last week, Ethiopian believed, and then later on the journey, they came to some water. And he said, hey, water, why shouldn't I be baptized? And right there, Philip baptized him. But these things were synonymous. Believe, then baptism. It's kind of a weird setup that in our church world sometimes we believe and baptism just maybe goes by the side and never really happens. Maybe your church you went to doesn't have baptism services. Maybe you have to ask for it to actually happen or, or uh, whatever the case may be. And then 15 years later, you think, well, I probably should be baptized. Like in Jesus' understanding, in John's understanding of baptism, these things mirrored one another and went together. Well, I'm going to pause right there for just a second because I told you I'm going to give you some practical insights on kind of getting off the fence. And what I want to do is you're going to see I want to start kind of a little far away from baptism and work us right to baptism. And then uh, I want to just finish off giving you the opportunity to just reflect on where you're at. And I realized this morning in a church setting with a lot of believers, the greater number of you this morning have already been baptized. You've said yes to Jesus and been baptized so as we work this little progression over the next couple minutes here, uh, this first couple challenges would actually be for people that are already Christians, and they move to the point of baptism and declaring your faith. So if you think, man, I've been baptized, don't check out right now. Stay with us for the next few minutes here, and we'll walk through it. First story uh, is this. It's from the Old Testament. It's about a guy named uh, Joshua, and Joshua is actually a successor to, to Moses, right? 
And Joshua is actually the one that brings them into the promised land that God has, has given to the children of Israel. And when they get into this promised land, they, they get like all settled, right? They're, they're, they're all setting up shop and they got their housing and all this stuff set. And to Joshua's surprise, he looks around and he starts to see, as what we would call in our, our terms today, very complacent faith. He started to look around and thought, where is the worship of God? Where is, where is this fervency that our people once had, the excitement to get into the promised land and to move forward and, and to take possession of what God had, had promised us? He saw spiritual complacency. Do you understand what spiritual complacency is? That's kind of when we really look the part, but there's nothing really going on in our Christian growth or in our Christian lives internally. It's kind of the shell of the faith and nothing really happening. That's what Joshua is seeing and he's looking around and he's actually starting to see people buying up these wooden idols from the neighboring nations and they're bringing them into their house and they're actually sitting these religious relics from other religions on their shelf all around their house. Some people he actually starts to see are worshiping these idols. The Bible actually, they don't even quite understand how the foreign gods are worshipped, so they're worshipping in whatever way they can figure out. That's what Joshua is starting to see as they move into the promised land. So what does Joshua do as a leader? He stands in front of them and he says, look, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. That's where actually Popeye got it originally from, that phrase. He stood in front of them and he said, look, I got to say something. I got to stand up and speak here. And he says, look, guys, I just don't get it. I don't get it. The one true God, the one true God, while we were enslaved in Egypt and we cried out with our whole hearts, that one true God heard our cries. That one true God delivered in the form of the ten plagues and he sent us out uh, to go to a promised land and we came upon a Red Sea, an unpassable Red Sea with an army behind us and we went across that thing on dry ground and that army got swallowed up. That's the one true God did that for us. We were hungry in the wilderness and our God provided for us. All along the path, that one true God said, I have a promised land I will allow you to occupy. And that one true God just came through on that and we here, we live in this land. And he's looking at his people and he's saying, and now, I, I don't get it. I look around and, and you're, you're playing around with idols from foreign gods? You, you're not worshiping God or setting up places of worship for God? I, I don't understand that. And so really what he's doing is he's giving this, this you know, you're, you're riding the fence type of story, riding the fence type of speech. And then we get these famous words, from Joshua. You might be familiar with them, but if you're not, I'd love to read them to you this morning. comes from Joshua chapter 24, which is, this story shows up, but this is verse 14. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. This is the, the speech to the people. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived with the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. He's saying, look, right here, right now, choose today. You, you got you, you to choose either leave that stuff behind or go full tilt. He is basically telling them, he's looking at them, they're here, and he's saying, get off your fence. 
decide what you're going to do today. You can't live in these two places, and you certainly can't live on a fence. In fact, we were actually at the, the home. I know we went to Lowe's because that's where Pastor Anson used to work, and we got a loyalty here. But we were looking at trying to set up a fence, and I don't know, everything we saw initially, I thought, I don't think I can sit my bottom on that. Uh, uh, that's going to be, I mean, there's some pokey fences and this kind of stuff. Um, and, and so Joshua, you can't stay up there. It's not comfortable. It's not going to work. You, you, that's not where you can stay. You got to get one side or the other is what he's saying here. And then he makes this declaration to them. Just so they know, I'm not on the fence. I'm full tilt. I'm fully invested here. And just so you know it, he says these words. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. For, look, you guys do what you want to do. You got, I'm not going to lead around a bunch of people that are riding the fence that say, on one side, love, we love God, but on the other side, got these idols in your home. That's not how it's going to operate. And just so you know, as your, as your leader here today, I'm off the fence. I'm not sitting on that thing. My family, myself, we're serving the Lord. We're serving the God who heard our cries. We're serving the God who delivered us from Egypt. We're serving the God that that led us through the wilderness. And we're serving the God who just allowed us to occupy the promised land. And forever this land is what the Bible says. Forever this land was gifted from God to us. That's who we're going to serve. And Basically, he's, he's given the get-off-the-fence speech. That's what he's challenging them. A little further in the text, you'll see thousands of people, thousands respond to what Joshua is saying. Verse 24, the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. And we will learn from the text that they go back to their houses and they clean up the, the junk They clean up the idols, they get rid of the idols, and they serve God. And we find in Scripture that there is this season of peace among the Israelites. Peace. Because they chose to get off the fence. Did you need to hear that today? I mean, do you need to be challenged that way today? Notice this story is really talking to believers, the children of Israel, God's people. And he's saying, look, even among believers, even among God's people, sometimes you need to hear the get off the fence speech. You're going to live out this faith or you're not going to live out this faith? Why ride in the middle and, and, and have just, I don't know, church attendance on your, on your, you know, your number one thing of your faith? Live it out. Do you need to have that, that today, uh, believers? Second story we find, if you, if you roll forward a little bit, you, you know this guy named King David. He uh, was author of most of the Psalms, tremendous leader, tremendous worshiper. We find he, re, he writes most of the Psalms that you've read in, in Scripture. That's what David's kind of known for. He was a person who understood forgiveness to a very high level because of his decisions and his sin, and God still embracing him and forgiving him. That was David. Well, he's praying to God. This is found in, in 2 Samuel 7 and then 1 Chronicles 28, if you want to read these stories on your own. He's praying to God, and he's asking God, hey, I'd like to build a permanent worship location for you, God. I want to build the temple. Up till now, it had kind of been a, a nomadic uh, tabernacle that had gone around. And, and David said, I'm going to 
right here in Jerusalem, right in like the heart of the city, I'm going to build a permanent worship center for you. It's going to be amazing. And God hears his prayers, but he comes to him and says, here's the deal, David. Um, I'm actually going to have your son Solomon build this thing, but I'm going to give you the challenge and the task to raise like all the resources, all the finances, all the construction items, everything that would need to be uh, given and collected to build this temple, I'm going to have you be in charge of collecting all that and just you get it ready and then Solomon is going to come in and he's going to build this thing. And we find that David like takes this task on. He says, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm raring to go. And he sends out word to, to everyone and he says, look, our generation, we get to provide the resources for this temple to be built for people for generations to come to worship at. And so he sends out word, hey, start collecting and sending into the the storehouse everything you have that can go into this collection for this temple. He sends the word out, and guess what? Nothing happens initially. Nothing happens. Everyone receives the word, but like they don't really do anything with it. So what does David do? He, He calls together this leaders meeting, and when he calls them together, he says, look, guys, I sent out the word for the temple. Um, God's invested us to do it. I've sent out word, and like I haven't heard anything. So here's what I want to do, just so you understand. He says, I want to make sure you know, I'm not riding the fence here. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to empty the treasury in the kingdom for this temple to be built. And they're just floored. Because at this time, uh, the nation of Israel is very rich. I'm going to empty the treasury. It's at my disposal to do that. And I'm going to, this is what I'm going to give. And they're amazed. They're blown away. But then he says, hold on. Keep that on your back burner. Let me tell you personally what I'm going to do as well. Myself and my family. And he lays this out for them, what he's going to do. And they're like astonished. They're, they're blown away. And then he flips it to them. And he says this in 1 Chronicles 28.8. So now with God as our witness... And in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Be careful to obey all the commands of of your Lord so that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. David's basically saying, look, I give you this charge. And he's basically saying to the people in the longer speech, you're welcome to read in in, in 1 Chronicles, what are you going to do now? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm not on the fence. He's telling people sitting on the fence, look, it's time to get up and you get the opportunity to resource this for the coming generations. He gives them the the get off the fence type of speech here. So it's ready to be built by Solomon. I wonder um, for you, if, if you've been sitting like in the church world a long time and God's like, hey, like when are you gonna plug in fully? Like when are you gonna serve? When are you gonna start using your life? to serve others or care for others. How long will you say, I'm, I'm kind of too busy, I've got my own things going on, I got, you know, whatever you have. And, and David's like, look, I'm going to empty everything to my disposal to build this kingdom. I wonder if this morning you just need to hear the challenge of saying, look, you're, you're gifted, you're phenomenal at what you do and what you're gifted at. When will you use it for God's, for God's glory? When do you get off the fence on that? 
uh, completely off script today. It uh, doesn't really necessarily pertain, but you can't not read that story and get a little jazzed and excited about what we're trying to do with a permanent church and building for our own church. And like, I'm telling you, when we did the, the, the a night a year ago, I wonder like, what would it be like? And I just saw this like flood of people, 86% of the church that got off the fence if you were on it, and you turned in these pledge cards. I'll give this, we'll give this, you know, over the next three years, we'll do this. You know, I've got, you know, this chunk for tonight I'll give and, and whatever. I, my, my company does this business or I personally do this and when the church comes around, I'll do, I'll take care of that for you. Those type of things, 86% in some way gave to the project. And so I, I get kind of jazzed because guess what? I know the rest of the story. The temple was built it's like eighth wonder of the world type of building built. Phenomenal structure that was built. And we find there, they did not wake up one day and God just, they just were like, oh, hey, there's all the resources. They gave it. They got off the fence and were invested to make it happen. Maybe for you, it's just a matter of your, like your abilities and talents and serving in some ministry. The kids down the hall setup team this morning. Setup team looked at each other this morning. We were a little sparse. Um, you know, maybe you're like, I mean, I'm a great setter-upper. If not, I'm a great teacher at setup. So, but maybe, maybe it's building related for you. Maybe you're like, man, I, I got to get off the fence and fully invest in what we're trying to do with a permanent home. Let's move on to the New Testament though. This is going to be uh, significant as it relates to baptism. The Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes in power and rattles like the upper room and there's a sense of excitement about the gospel. And Peter's like walking around Jerusalem. Um, this is in Acts chapter 2. And he's walking around Jerusalem and, and like he's, he's seeing like business as usual going on. Jesus has just been crucified and raised from the dead and um, he appears and then he ascends into heaven and like, it's, it's back to business as usual in the town of Jerusalem. And so Peter, um, always quick to speak, uh, decides, I got to say something. I got to speak to this issue. And we find he gives a speech in Acts chapter through, 2. He basically stands up in the middle of the plaza uh, and says, hey, listen, listen to me. Yeah, I mean, have you ever tried to pull that one off before? Um, I, I have not. That's what he does. He stands up and he says, look, I... Don't you people have any idea what just happened in Jerusalem just a few blocks away not too long ago? Don't you remember what went down here? In case you don't, he says, let me, uh, let me just remind you. And he starts walking through. Here's the first part of it, um, or middle part of it, excuse me. He says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses to this. Now he's exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father as he promised, gave us the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. And that was an important part because the people saw them preaching and being all excited about the gospel and sharing another language, and they just said, these guys are wasted. They are drunk. And Peter says, no, no, and starts into this speech here. And he traces his history of it, like Jesus being born in Bethlehem and growing up and teaching and, and he says that, like, the people, you saw him, you interacted with him right here in Jerusalem. You saw his miracle power. You saw him raise people from the dead in this city. You saw this. And you watched him confront, the, like, the power structures fearlessly. And you saw this extraordinary man. 
Then you saw what the religious leaders did. You saw how the, the crowd was drummed up. In fact, he it actually says to them here, look, you saw him go before the council, meaning they had to be there, several of them there, to see And then he turns and he says, like we talked about in the communion time this morning, he said, look, you have to understand you were complicit. You were right there involved as well. You chanted just the same for his crucifixion. And that's exactly what happened. But then Peter says, but we serve a great God. And he's saying, but Christ came to to give us forgiveness, to forgive us and to give us salvation These people are so amazed. They are so impacted by the words of of Peter, who uh, understand he just said, you're implicit, you were at fault, you were part of it, but we serve a God of forgiveness and a God of salvation. They are so moved by this that we find in chapter 2, starting in verse uh, 36, it said, Says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their heart, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter is looking at them, and he's saying to these people who have declared the Messiah is coming his whole life, he looked at him and said, you got to get off the fence now and decide, is Jesus this Messiah? And are you going to claim your life to him from here on out? Or is it just business as normal in Jerusalem? you got to get off the fence. And the way he calls them to do that is repent, turn, your, turn from your ways, declare your belief, be baptized. And we find that day, the response in verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, when they got the get off the fence type of speech from from Peter that day, those who believed that Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, how many? 3,000 added to the church that day. Have you ever gone to a church and you're like, "Ah, I just don't really like big churches. You don't like the biblical church because 3,000 that day, what a day of celebration. Can I tell you equally this morning? If there was one person this morning who is ready to declare their faith in Jesus Christ, one person, the celebration would be just the same. Just the same. That's how significant this message is for all of us to get off the fence. If you're a believer, he says, look, get off the fence. Choose today who you're going to serve. For me and my house, it's going to be the Lord. Why don't you join us? If you're somebody who's been sitting in church a long time, it's, it's, it's David saying, look, get off the fence. Like, do something with what you have. You know, build the kingdom with what you have. Don't just, don't just keep what you have. The word's gone out. Do something with it. And here the most significant, Peter is saying, get off the fence, believe, repent, and be baptized. This morning, my invitation to you is similar to what it always is, is to say yes to Jesus Christ. But I want to add a, a second part of it to you this morning there's an invitation for you to be baptized, to be declare yourself publicly before anyone that I've gotten off the fence and I am leading a life devoted to Jesus Christ. That would mean if today you're saying yes to Christ, May 15th, sign up, 
we want to baptize you. If you've been a Christian for a couple years, but you just never really understood the significance of baptism, then this morning we're saying, we, we want to see you sign up. We want to baptize you. We want the whole church to say, that person is all in, and there's somebody out there that'll be inspired seeing you baptize. The rare chance, though, you're sitting here and you're like, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, I was saved 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I just, I let that initial period of baptism drift on and I didn't do it. And now it would be really weird because if I get up there, they're going to think I'm a new believer in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, I don't want anyone to think I'm a newbie. I want to tell you this morning, just follow the words of Scripture. Believe and be baptized. And get yourself signed up. Let us baptize you. Who knows what impact God wants to use that in his kingdom two weeks from today to impact somebody else's life. If you've never been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ, I think as a kid, I don't know, I was sprinkled or something, there was a rose involved, I'm not sure. If you've never been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you. This is the time. Get off that fence, declare publicly, and see what God might do for the body of believers here. I want to invite you just as a time of reflection. Um, I've invited Pastor Anson and Amanda to, to sing a, a song for us. And so I want to invite you however you would like. If you would like to come up and use our altar, if this is the moment where you're like, I'm getting off the fence in one of these areas we talked about, please come and pray. If it's right there at your seat, that's fine. If you want to close your eyes, if you want to keep them open, however you'd like. But I want to give you the next few minutes as, as they sing this to reflect and go before God.